Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinful men. Get up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we ask that the Holy Spirit of God would open the word of God to all the people of God. Speak, Lord, for your servants seek to hear. In Jesus' precious name, amen. John 13, verse 1, reads this way. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. As we conclude our time together, we look into Gethsemane and ask the question, dare to ask the question, what did it mean and what does it mean that Jesus loves us all the way to the end. Three simple questions about Gethsemane, which you just heard read to you. And then I'll say a word about how it connects to prayer. First, what happened? Second, why it happened? Third, when it happened? They're all crucial. This is a shocking passage, brothers and sisters. It says that Jesus was stricken. It says that he was sorrowful unto death. There's no experience in the Gospels like it. And yet this is the time when three times he says, not my will, but thine be done, which is the way he teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. So something unusual, something shocking and striking is happening. And the language is meant for us to understand that he is going through deep grief, grief as if he's already dead, holy terror is the only way to describe what he's going through. Why is he going through this now? What does it mean? The point of no return is the point beyond which one must continue 
on one's current course of action because turning back is impossible. Pilots know it because there's a certain place across the Atlantic or whatever a part of the sea you're crossing where you've got enough gas to go forward, but you don't have enough gas to go back. And Jesus somehow in this experience goes past the point of no return. It's that moment in the poker game when everything is at a complete standstill and all of a sudden one of the players takes all his chips and says, all in. It's the moment in the marriage service, which I love, having been married over three decades myself, even to this day, watching young people say the vows and be in absolute uh, awe of what they're about to say, to have and to hold from this day forward, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow, and they, they almost shake because it's a door that open, only opens one way. You make this vow, and you're all in, and there's no backseas. And Jesus has to be all in with the Father. And yet it's so bad that three times, not once, not twice, but three times, he prays that he doesn't have to do it because he doesn't want to do it. So what is it? It is the cup. It's very clear in the cup. What is the cup? the greatest theologian America has ever produced, Jonathan Edwards. He tells us what it is. He says it is the agony of Jesus, and he writes as follows. Jesus' agony was caused by a vivid, bright, full, immediate view of the wrath of God. The Father, as it were, set the cup before him. He now had a near view of that furnace into which he was about to be cast. He stood and viewed its raging flames and the glowing of its heat that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. It is hell. The heart of the gospel is that Jesus suffered hell so that we wouldn't have to. You may know, because Jeffrey told you, that I did three years of my life on hell, so it's a dangerous word for me to mention because you may never escape from here. <laughs> I had to read literally thousands of sermons on hell. Most of them are no good. <laughs> it's very hard to preach on. It's very hard to talk about. But there was one sermon by one medieval French preacher that was spectacular. It grabbed my heart then. It always has. It's the best image for what we're really dealing with when we're dealing with hell. And the reason I want to read it to you is because this is on the mind of Jesus looking from Thursday into Friday in Gethsemane. And this is why he's stricken unto death. He knows that if he says yes to the Father here, he's going to be ground into powder. And hell is destruction, it is punishment, but it is mostly at its core this, being consciously abandoned by God. It is losing God. And the thing about Jesus that's different from him to us is he's the son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. What does it mean for the son to lose the father? So here is this French preacher. Listen, to have lost one's parents, to have lost one's friends, to have lost one's fortune, to have lost one's health. Oh, all such losses are great, but they are as nothing compared with which the loss of which we speak. 
Even if you have nothing left to choose, as when St. Job was on a pile of dung, it does not matter if God is with you. But if you have lost God, you have lost everything, both in this world and the next. You are worse than a man or a woman without their spouse, a person without his or her country, a baby without their parents. He's looking into the fire and into the void, knowing that the next day he's going to say, and feel the full weight of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the only way he can get there is to wrestle with God three times and say, I don't want to do this. I don't think I can do this. I don't find a way that I can find my way to exercise a world where this is where I have to go through this. He tries every possible mental gymnastics to get out of it, and he can't because he's got to say yes to the Father, and he knows it. So he looks fully into it, and he does it anyway. Thirdly, why does it happen now? It's a really interesting question. We're not at Good Friday. We're at Holy Thursday. We're, we're the night before. Why does it happen now? Why is Jesus stricken now? And without taking you through the whole thing, it's Edwards who really unpacks this in his genius. And it's magnificent what he says. He says this, he says, what you have to understand about Holy Thursday and Gethsemane and Thursday night into Friday is this, Jesus is by himself. Jesus is in the darkness. There was a day in my life when I was reading Exodus chapter 12, where Moses sees these people fighting, and it says, and he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he murdered I got a telephone call the first time I encountered that passage and really noticed it in my devotions. The day after I read that, and the person on the other end of the phone said, uh, we would like you to come to speak at the men's conference. And I said, okay, well, I'll pray about it. What's the topic? And he said, who are you when no one's looking? And I just gasped. The reason why this has to happen now is Jesus is not constrained by his enemies. He's not being watched by anybody. He is utterly, voluntarily by himself. The disciples are asleep. He's in the dark. It is the ultimate act of voluntary submission to the will of God. And Edward says he did it for us. He did it for you. And he did it for me. Edwards again. The view that Christ had in his agony, that he acted knowing what he did, that his taking that cup and bearing such dreadful sufferings was properly his own act by an explicit choice, tells us that his love for sinners was all the more wonderful as his obedience to God in it. If the taste and the glimpse of the sufferings were enough to throw the eternal God into shock and to nearly kill him in the anticipation of them, what was the actual full experience of those sufferings on the cross really like? You with me so far? So here's the thing. You're listening to me and you're saying, Kendall, you're talking about Gethsemane, you're talking about Monday, Thursday. Uh, we're, I thought I came to a conference on prayer. Well, let me offer you uh, two things in conclusion on prayer, and then we're done. I want to offer you a challenge, and then I want to offer you an encouragement. The challenge is this. This is a sermon about the danger of prayer. If you undertake the great adventure of prayer, as I've tried to invite us into, if you start listening to God, if you start following Christ with no strings attached, you are going to find yourself in Gethsemane. And more than once, 
You are going to find yourself wrestling with God, not understanding the way that his will is unfolding in your life, and fighting him because he's going to be asking you to do things that you either don't fully understand or don't think you have the capacity to do. And you are going to be asked to pass the point of no return. You are going to be asked to be put all in. And as a Christian teacher, I have to warn you about prayer that if you start engaging in it, it's dangerous because you're going to get into Gethsemane if you really undertake it. So understand fully what you're getting yourself into. But, 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 it's not only the danger of prayer, and that's the challenge, but it's the encouragement. And if anything should encourage us, brothers and sisters, about prayer, it's this. When you trust other people, just think about it for a second. There's really very few people in your life that you trust with your life. I sometimes say to my friends, I believe that every person should have at least five people, maybe ten, that you can call for any reason at four o'clock in the morning about anything, and they'll answer the phone, they'll drop everything, and they'll help you. There are not very many people like that in my life. There's a few. I can call them at four o'clock in the morning, no matter what is happening in my life, and I can say this, that, and the other, and I can say, I need you to come right now, and they'll drop everything, and they'll come. Why do I know that about them? Because they've loved me down to my core. Because it's been years and years that we've been friends. When somebody has gone to the mat for you again and again, you learn that you can trust them for anything. And that's human love. That's human trust. And when you get into Gethsemane, the hardest part about it is you're being asked for raw trust in God. But know this, brothers and sisters, the one whom you're trusting is the one that drank the dregs of the wrath of God fully, that stood in Gethsemane and looked into the fiery furnace and completely voluntarily, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So I offer you the danger of prayer and the comfort that the one to whom you pray is the one who has gone to the ultimate mat for you and will never let you down. It would be good to conclude with that Peterson fourfold affirmation since it fits so well right here. God loves you. He is relentless. He is after you. And he will never let you down. I didn't say it right. Dang. I, I, never, I never remember... I'm going to get it right. God loves you. He is on your side. He is coming after you. He is relentless. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.